listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. First John chapter 3, we're going through this, this uh, wonderful book, this, this difficult book, but this life-giving book. We're going through it verse by verse, and, and uh, it's a great way to study God's Word. And one of the things that you see as you study First John is, I think we're in message number 9 in this series, is that John values repetition. And as he continues, he cycles and he circles back to the same truths and doctrines over and over again here in this book. But he's not just repeating himself, you know, just, he's not that broken broken record like a parent. Clean up your room, clean up your room, clean up your room, or, you know, whatever it might be that, that parents sometimes will, will do with repetition. He's approaching these topics and these themes, but he's coming at it from a different angle and just trying to deepen and further our understanding so we can, can grasp their importance and their value and, and the life change that is possible. And these three themes that you continue to see throughout this book, and we'll see it here today, are, are, are what we see on the screen in, in, in our logo here for this series on 1 John. We, we see Jesus, we see obedience, and we see love. And when we have a right view of Jesus, when we understand who Jesus is and the work that he did on the cross for us and through the, his death, burial, and his resurrection, and, and through his ascension, and what that means for us, when we have a right view of Jesus, we, we, we want to obey his word and we want to be obedient, pursuing righteousness, obeying what his word tells us to do. And that's going to express itself in a love, in, in a love that's not of ourselves, in a, in a divine love from God that has been demonstrated to us that we have seen in God sending his son, the sacrifice of Jesus, that we're going to want to extend that to those in this room, those brothers and sisters in the faith, as well as to those who are not yet in the faith, who yet n- not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And ultimately, why first, why first John was written by John the Apostle under the influence of the Holy Holy Spirit is so that believers can have assurance of salvation. So that we can know, that we can know that we have an authentic faith. In, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, kind of one of the theme verses for this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants you to know that you're going to heaven when you die. He wants you to know that. God wants you to have that assurance of your salvation. And even today, we're going to see this again. We see this this repetition. We see in verse 14 of chapter 3. We know that we have passed out of death into life. It means that... This verse is saying, we know that we have been, that God has done a work in our lives through the Holy Spirit, has made us alive unto Christ. We're no longer dead in our trespasses and sin, but we're alive to Christ. This is the gospel. This is good news. And so John is wanting to understand this. But folks, listen up. There are those who should have a confidence that they have an authentic faith, but don't have that confidence and assurance of their salvation. And there are those that have a confidence that should not have a confidence that they are saved. That's a very important reality for us to know. This past week, I was working on this sermon, actually, in a Starbucks, and, uh, and, and I was listening to a man with a very loud voice sharing his beliefs with the person that he was having coffee with. And it was his faith, if you want to call it. And, and his faith was based on biblical teaching. He threw the word discipleship. He threw the word church in there a little bit. He talked about the armor of God in a very weird way. And he then talked about heaven, and, and, and what it was was a mixture of, of of, of, of Bible, a mixture of new age, and a lot of his own views and his own thoughts. And for a little while, the person that he was sitting with challenged him. But then by the end, he says, you know, I really like your views. Your views really seem to make a lot of sense. And I'm like, ah, that's not good. False teacher, false teaching. This isn't true. This is, this is a bunch of stuff that he's made up. And it's not based on the truth of the word of God. And yet you hear him speaking with confidence and and, and with such clarity. And he was a smooth talker. And he believes that stuff. And no matter how confident, and, and perhaps he believes it confidently and sincerely. But he's sincerely wrong. Because it's not based on the truth of the word of God. In the end, these truths won't stand up. Counterfeit false teaching 
Because it, it, I mean, it was just such a, a, a detraction from what God's word has to say, even today in light of what we're going to be studying. And God wants you, he wants me, he wants us to walk in the full assurance of our salvation. Yet we have to make sure that our hope and our confidence is rooted in the word of God, in what God's truth has to say. And folks, this makes all the difference in the world to have Assurance of our salvation rooted in the truth of God's word. And this is what we're digging into here today. This is the difference between an authentic faith and a false faith. This is the difference between victory and defeat in our lives. This is the difference between walking in joy or walking in discouragement. This is the difference between confidence or fear or sweetness of life or walking in bitterness, walking in love or walking in hate, walking in a life of generosity or one of self-centeredness and selfishness. This is the difference between life and death, heaven and hell. It's a big deal. This past week, Charlotte and I, I, I remembered this, this incident in our pre-dating days and, and uh, her and I were talking about it, kind of chuckling about it and, and I, I was thinking about the very first gift that she ever gave me. Now at this time, I was a youth pastor, I was single, I was uh, looking and I was really starting to like her but I wasn't sure if she was liking me back and, and, you know, I, and, and maybe she was just tolerating like it seems a lot of people sometimes do. They have, have, have that space spiritual gift of tolerating me. And so I wasn't sure, does she really like me? Is it here? You know, like what's going on? And then I got this gift in my office at the church. It was the next, it, it was a little bit before Christmas and I got this gift and, and, and it was given to me anonymously and, uh, and yet through some very keen detective work, I, I did a handwriting analysis, which I found out later she actually tried to disguise her handwriting, but there was one E that she messed up on and it was like, yes, this is from Charlotte Matico. And I, I was just ecstatic that she had given me this gift. You know what that gift was? A potato masher. Uh-huh. Her first gift to me was a potato masher. And, and yet, it was like, yes, she likes me. I mean, I mean, someone must really truly like you if they give you a potato masher, right? And, and it was just like, it confirmed that this was just more than tolerating, that, that this took things for us to the next level. It did. It meant that we got to go out on a date together, um, which she paid for. Somehow, again, was able to work that into the deal, in, into the whole contract of things. But it was like, yes. And, and it was right before Christmas. And I'm telling you, that Christmas season, as I went home to Regina and she was in Saskatoon, and I was this budding relationship that was starting, it was like, believe it or not, I'm walking on it. Like, it was just this joy, this like, she likes me. And, and this is maybe going to go somewhere. And I was even, I took the potato masher home to Regina to show my family and, and to even do the handwriting analysis just to confirm it. And, and, and there was such a joy and excitement in, in this relationship and that it might actually go somewhere. Folks, in the same way, our God wants us to have the same joy, the same confidence in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and to know him and to experience him and to be filled with joy and not looking like we've just been drinking lemon juice all day. That is what he wants for us as his children, to walk in the glory and the beauty of a relationship with him. And really, in order for this to happen, it comes down to the knowledge that we see in God's word, but then it comes along down to our own heart. Where is our heart truly, really at? You see, we can understand and, and we know that talk is cheap. You can say all the right stuff, especially if you've been in church for very long. You can learn the right lingo. Actions at times can be impressive in the eyes of others and even at times you may even impress yourself with your actions and with your service towards God. But in reality, it comes down to the heart. It's the heart. Where's your heart really at? And only you and only the Lord know where that's at. The heart matters. Physically, the heart matters. If your heart isn't right physically, you're in trouble. And in the same thing, if our heart isn't right spiritually, you're in trouble. And, and this is 
Today, even this past week, as I was looking a little bit about some heart issues in relationship to this, and, and take a look at the screen here on heart disease. Heart disease is known as one of the leading causes of death. A person could have all the appearances of a healthy heart and yet still have a bad heart, a defective heart, an unhealthy heart. And then the next thing, um, saw this statistic, 8 out of 10 of premature heart disease and stroke cases are preventable through healthy lifestyle behaviors. You need to check your heart. You need to be able to not only check to see if it's still ticking and how it's ticking, but there's other factors you need to check. And, and some of those factors that they even go in and, and tell you on, on, on the heart and stroke uh, website is, is knowing your family history. You knowing genetics play a, lot of, a big part of how your heart really is. And, and, and blood pressure and cholesterol and making sure those are in check. And, and your lifestyle, what you eat, what you drink, how you exercise, how you handle stress. All of these are factors that can contribute to unhealthy or to a healthy heart. And these are things that on a physical level we have to take, take care of even at a young age, even before a baby is born. What are the doctors doing? They're checking the heart. They're checking the heart of the baby. And, and when the baby is born, they're checking the heart. They're making sure that things are right. And even as you continue to go to the doctor, the doctor's always checking the heart. How about the spiritual heart? We need to do a spiritual heart check, and that's what we're going to do today as we look at these 20 verses, and, and, uh, and I trust that in this way that we will check, not, not, not the person sitting next to you's heart, not your family members, not that other person who's really ticking you off right now. You check your heart. This is a personal heart check that we're going to do here today, and, uh, and encourage you to write these things down. There's going to be verses for you to write down and, and some um, sub points behind the points that, that I'd love for you to take and study and, and allow God to uh, speak to you even throughout this week as you look at these notes again. A healthy heart check. So the first test that we need to do is the sin test. Am I experiencing victory over sin in my life? In verse 4 of chapter 3 of 1 John, it says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Now, this is the person, this is when a person says, I know it's wrong, I'm going to do it anyways. Or I know that this is the right thing to do, but I'm not going to do it. I know what God's word says on this, but I'm going to disobey the word of God. Now, we won't often say that out loud to other people, although sometimes if you're really bold, you will. But these are things that we come up with and we, we give excuses and different reasons. But when this kind of thinking becomes a practice in our lives, and this is talking about habitual, ongoing sin, and, and we do nothing about it and we're just continuing on in it and we're justifying it or excusing it or blaming others for it, it reveals a sick heart, a diseased heart, and even an unregenerate heart. And, and, and this is serious stuff. We can make all of the excuses and, and uh, you know what, and, and justify the sinfulness in, in our heart. But this is an indicator that there's something wrong and we have to pay attention. In fact, John goes on to say that this kind of practice is called lawlessness. And lawlessness is, it's serious. Lawlessness means rebellion. This is a total disregard for God. This is a total disregard for what is right. And it's, a, it's choosing to go your own way. And what this reveals that when there is this pattern in a person's life, it means we don't understand the gospel. We don't understand why Christ came. We don't have, have a grasp of, of the immensity and, and the depth of, of his sacrifice for us on the cross. We just think it's no big deal. We just kind of make light out of it. Look at in verses 5 and in verses 6, and we're going to read on uh, a number of verses here. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, and he who has been sinning from the beginning... It, uh, or sorry, I jumped ahead here. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning since the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. When we continue in and even justify our sin, it reveals a serious heart problem. 
And the reason that Jesus came to this earth, the reason that he appeared, and the reason that he lived a perfect sinless life was to free us from our sins, to conquer sin. And not only that we would be forgiven, but that we can live a life that is being transformed and, and being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. This is a life of ongoing victory over temptation and sin. And these things will continue to keep knocking at the door. And these are things that we're going to continue to stumble and fall in. And we repent and we make those things right and we continue on. It's not becoming comfortable. It's not becoming lax in these areas and justifying it. And in verse 8, it says, Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil not to help us get comfortable with sin. And these false teachers in, in John's day, and we're hearing this even today, where they are saying, oh, we know the deep things. We understand these truths better than you know them. And you can live your life however you want, and in the end, God will accept you. And so much of that kind of teaching, it's infiltrating our churches, our books, our um, teaching, even today, that you live however you want, and the end will all be forgiven, and we'll all be with God. And John says, let no one deceive you, and he's imploring them, he's talking, he says, oh dear children, he's like, he's using such a term of endearment, he says, oh how I love you, I don't want you to miss this. Don't accept the soft selling of sin. He's saying, if there's a growing pattern of sinfulness over a pattern of holiness and pursuing righteousness in your life with no conviction and you're justifying it, he's saying you're not saved. He's saying you're not a Christian. Don't shoot me. I'm the messenger and I'm not going to edit the word of God. This is what he is saying here, that if we see this pattern of, of pursuing sin and not pursuing righteousness and holiness in our lives, he says you're not saved, that, that, that we are still in darkness, that we are still dead in our sins. And John is saying you can't know Christ and live a life of deliberate disobedience and rebellion against the will and the word of God. Where there's no conviction, we just keep on going. If you do this and you continue to live this way, he's saying you're of the devil. That is so serious. Just every once in a while here in, in the city, I run into a guy that, that I've known for a number of years and just ran into him again recently. And, and this would be a man who professes faith in Christ, grew up in a Christian home, brought up his family in the life of the church. And, and, and then more recently, in the last few years, it's been found out that when he would go away on business trips, he would frequent um, massage parlors and, and, and would oftentimes be unfaithful. I don't even like that. He was committing adultery on his wife. And, and, and since being found out, and I've talked to him about this, and, and even though I don't have that kind of authority in his life, he's not a part of our church or anything like that, he justifies it. And he says, he says that God will forgive him and that it's okay that he, he accepted Christ when he was young. And so he's saved and, and, and all of this is going on and, and it's okay. God's okay with it. And, and, and then he talks about how he drops some money in the offering basket every once in a while. And, and, and that just, he says, the churches don't seem to mind taking my money, you know, when, um, when it comes to this and, and thinking that's maybe it's some kind of a guilt offering or something. And even just recently, he told me of, of the windfall of, of money through the investments and through the work that he's doing. And, and he's told me, he says, well, look, God is blessing my business. I'm like, that's not a blessing that, that is being poured out on you. And this might be the closest to any kind of blessing that you will ever experience here on the face of this earth unless you repent. And here's a man who's justifying sin. You might say, oh yeah, that's serious. Oh, I'd never do that. That's terrible. But we can justify other attitudes and we can justify other actions. Just, you know, we may have had victory and, 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 and conquered those big sins in our lives, but what about other areas? But to willfully, habitually sin and not to have any remorse, but to justify it is a very, very serious, serious place to fall into. In verse 9, John says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. I just love this time of year as we're watching things grow in the gardens, in the market gardens and the fields as you, grow, as you drive by or walk by or even in our own garden, Charlotte has uh, some vegetables and flowers and different things. And, and it's so exciting to, to know that you put in a cucumber seed into the ground and, and our cucumber plants are growing. What will that eventually hopefully give us? A what? A cucumber? 
Yeah, exactly. You put a cucumber seed into the ground, you will get, eventually, if the deer don't eat the, uh, it's okay, I'm trying to get victory over deer, and uh, literally and, and in my mind, uh, you know, and, and if they don't get them first, we're going to get some cucumbers. And, and, and the same thing, when you put a carrot seed in the ground, you're going to get a carrot. And, and it's just kind of that, that sowing and reaping principle. Well, here's the same thing as it says in here, for God's seed abides in him. When Christ comes into our lives through the Holy Spirit, when we receive Christ, when we turn from our sins and we receive him as Lord and Savior by faith, the Holy Spirit comes in and, and, and God's word talks about even the seed being the word of God, the truth of God, the gospel takes root in our lives and, and in that way there are new desires, new passions, there's a new, new desire to, to live a different way and, and when there is an internal change, when there's a new heart, when salvation takes place, it will manifest itself when there's a change internally, it will manifest itself externally and will culminate eternally one day in heaven. And this is the progress. There's an internal change that results in external uh, change. It will manifest itself in that way. And finally, when we see him face to face, it will culminate for eternity. And the longer that we are in Christ, the more and more we ought to be resembling Christ. And it's by the Spirit's work, but also our discipline and our participation in that. And we might think, well, I've cleaned up the social sins and I've cleaned up the big things. But this is also dealing with unforgiveness in our heart. Bitterness. The secret things like lust. Or worldly ambition or self-righteousness or pride. That can so easily mark the life of the believer. We may have all kind of really had a lot of great victory over all those big external things. We're not going out and partying and getting hammered on the weekend. Because when we're coming to church, we're doing the good stuff. You know, we're not doing those big things. But what about the pride and the bitterness and the unforgiveness that can so easily take root in our lives? And I believe this is where so many of God's people, we can easily get so hung up on this. And one of the big ones for me is self-righteousness. You know, where, where I can look at myself and I can look, look at others and, and say, well, at least I'm not like that. I mean, and it shows itself in so many ways. I mean, um, this past week I was driving, I think it was on Wednesday or no, Thursday, I was driving to the church office and I was going down Gordon, it's two lanes and it's coming up to a red light. Would you believe that I saw as I, there was a lineup of cars and I was coming in, you know, for the stop and I passed a number of cars and I was looking I saw three ladies and one man using their cell phone all in a row. I was just like, you people, you're breaking the law. How dare you do that? You're texting. You're at a red light. Even if you're texting at a red light, that, that's illegal. So I, the other guy had, his, the guy had his ear to the phone like, dude, that is so wrong. You know, and, and so I was about to pull out my cell phone and take pictures of them and show that I was taking pictures and go, no, 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 no. But then I would be doing the very same thing that they were doing. And so I wasn't going to do that. But oh, I was judging. Them. Oh boy, I'm telling you, I was in a holy moment there. That's because I was having a good day. There's other days before that, and sadly to say since then, that I have used my cellular phone while driving or at a red light. Wouldn't my family agree, Nate? Yes. But that day, because I was having a good day, I was so in position to judge others and to think of how good I was doing in that. The self-righteousness, whether you say, oh, Meldon, that's terrible that you, you do that, I know. And some of you speed. And some of you, well, maybe I do too, um, you don't wear a seatbelt or, or you, don't, you come to a rolling stop. All of these things are violations, but so easily we can pick out the sins. When we're having a good day, we can, even if we're having a bad day, we can look at others and, and oh, the self-righteousness. And it boils down to our spirituality, to our service, to everything that, that we can, can allow these things to take root and and we become so self-righteous. I mean, and we can't continue living like this. 
when we're aware of these things, we repent, we make these things right and say, oh God, I don't want to be like this. You see, the pop, pop culture gospel that we see today that is being preached in, in, in many churches and, and written by many authors just simply wants us to acknowledge that there's been an emotional moment, uh, an event, a prayer that was prayed rather than a life that is being transformed. That's what authentic faith is about, a life that's being transformed, just not a simple moment in time where we pray to prayer. It's this movement towards holiness and, and pursuing a righteous life. And so we have to examine our hearts. And authentic faith is more than just a change of status. It's a change in our lives. Is there a hunger for the word of God in your life? Are you feeding yourself on the word of God? You might say, yeah, I, I know I should be, but I'm not. That's the Holy Spirit in you, calling you, reminding you, get into the word. I'll feed you from the word of God. Are you rising up in victory over temptation and sin? And, and this is where we need, oftentimes need the body of Christ. We need brothers and sisters to walk with us in, in authenticity and accountability to help us in areas in our lives. Is there a less pride is there less pride going on in your life and more pursuit of humility? And is that becoming more real within your own heart and, and not just in words and in actions and making yourself look good? And look in verse 10. By this it is evident who the children of God, uh, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And this brings us to the second test. And the second test after the, the sin test is the love test. Is there a genuine, deepening love for others in my life? Look at in verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, and he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. A super natural mark of a Christian is love. How's the love test doing in your heart today? In verse 14, it says, one of the many ways that, that, that we know that we are saved, that we have passed from death to life is through a growing love for fellow believers, for brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, we can say that we love others. We can say it with our lips, but this is more than just being able to verbalize it. It is showing it with our lives, with our actions. And Jesus is the ultimate example of this. Jesus is, is the example of, 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 of this true love. In verse 11, it says, You have seen this, or you have heard this from the beginning. Christ demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, or God demonstrated it, that Christ died for us. And in and, and John chapter 13, Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And how did Jesus love? How did he show it? Just not through words, but through his actions, by serving his disciples, by, by serving, by feeding people. When he could have said, ah, just go, you know, go on into town, you know, go and, 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 and see the food truck guys and the restaurants and, you know, pack your own lunch. No, he fed, he, he served those that he loved and he cared for. And then he showed his love ultimately by sacrificing himself on the cross. Christ demonstrated and showed his love for us through the cross. True love is, is, is a love that is from the heart. Look at in verse 12 and, and verse 15, we see this. And John uses some very sobering examples from Genesis 4, from Cain and Abel on this. Here we see two brothers, and, and encourage you to be reading this passage of this week from Genesis chapter 4. We see two brothers, two different jobs. They both have good jobs. One's a rancher, the other is a farmer, and they both bring an offering to God. Cain brought an offering from the land, some fruits or vegetables or grain, and and, and Abel brought an offering from his livestock. 
And as far as we know, they were giving their first and their best to God. And this is a pattern that we see throughout the word of God. We see this and it even applies today that we are to give God our first and our best. The first and our best of our time, of our treasure, of our talents. But it says that Cain's offering was rejected and Abel's offering was accepted. And and scholars have have contended for years, was it the offering that was bad? Should he not have brought the grain offering or or, or from the land? Should it have been a a, a blood offering? Or or was it something with his heart? Well, Well, one thing we do know for sure is that it tells us that his deeds were evil. But we don't know what those deeds were. Regardless of, of what the issue was, God rejected his offering and he accepted he, he, God rejected Cain's offering and accepted Abel's. And instead of repenting, instead of making it right with God and, and getting things straight, straightened out with God, he got angry, he got jealous, filled with hatred towards his brother, and Cain ended up murdering his brother, the first murder that we see in the Bible. And get this, murder grows from hatred. It's very dangerous to hate someone. Today, in your life, do you hate someone? Is there someone? And you might say, well, I strongly dislike, or, you know, or, or maybe it is, I hate this person in my life. Be very careful. Because hatred leads to murder. You say, well, I'm not going to murder someone. But when, when we think in our own hearts, or maybe even ver- ver- verbalize to other people, you know, oh, you know, I just wish this person was dead. Or like Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank who says, you're dead to me. Well, he does that on a financial end, but sometimes we can do that on a relational end to people. But I won't pull a cane. I'm not going to murder someone. Maybe all that you are doing is you're lacking opportunity to do it or you're scared of the consequences. That you've been hurt, you're upset, you're angry at someone and you hate them. You despise them. This is very dangerous to live in. I'm not talking about getting angry with someone because we will get angry. That will happen, but it's when we hold on to it and we don't let go of it and instead we just go deeper into it. And Ephesians 4.26 is a reminder to us, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Right now it's great to live up in Alaska because the days are really long there, you know, and there's, there's really, you know, up near the North Pole, there's really no darkness right now, so you can be angry for a good long time. You know, I mean, we'll try to justify anything, right? So everyone's moving north, you know, where, where okay, the sun hasn't technically gone down, so I can still be angry. I mean, some of you maybe even have thought of that at times. You know, I'm, I'm heading camping up, up north, and then I can be good and angry. You know, um, no, we deal with it. And in life, we will be hurt. We will be disappointed at what others may do. And they've ticked us off. And now we're not going to kill the person, but we're going to make them pay. And you know what? There's other ways that we can murder a person. We can murder someone by never letting go of the past. Always reminding them of what they did. We're killing a relationship there. We're killing in our hearts. How about the Reputation of someone. Talking about someone to, to someone else. We can kill a reputation pretty fast. And today on social media, oh boy, that can be done quickly. How about taking them down in business? Oh, I don't get mad. Oh yeah, you're mad, but I get even. And I'm going to take you down in business. Is that what we are to do? Is that how we're to respond? No, God's word calls us that we are to love. We are to love. We are to forgive. We are to love from the heart. How? How Christ treated us. Forgiveness isn't letting them off the hook. It means you're not taking it into your future. It's passing it on to a higher court. God, I choose to forgive this person. And it's releasing your obligation to get even with them. And and let them fall into the hands of God. And God is just. God is faithful. In the end, every wrong will be righted. In the end, every violation will be paid for. And that's why Ephesians 4.32, we're told, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Who are you angry at today? Who are you jealous of? See, these areas left unchecked in our life can lead, a hurt can lead to hatred, which can lead to murder. 
And if these things are, are present in our heart, folks, we need to pay attention that this is a sign of a sick heart, a diseased heart, but there's healing that's possible for this heart. There's, there's refreshing and there's, there's a cleansing that can happen. Another thing about the love test here is true love will be tested. Verses 13, it says, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. This world hates the kingdom of God. God's people and God's word has been and always will be a target in our society, in our world. When you stand for the truth, put on a helmet. In fact, maybe you need to put on body armor. Even when you do something in a supernatural, loving way, you do it in the power and the strength of God towards another person, they may return what you have done with good motives and in a supernatural way, in a very natural way, they may respond. But love does not deny or change the truth, but it speaks the truth in love. And we will be pressured, folks, in life, in school, in work, in families, even within the church, we may be tempted and pressured to compromise our convictions that are based on the word of God. We could be compromised to do this in business or in relationships, and we have a choice. Are we going to offend the world? Are we going to offend the partner? Are we going to affect someone, offend someone in our marriage when we stand up in, in truth in a certain area, in our families, in our homes? Or are we going to offend the Lord? We have that choice. True love will be tested. But here's another thing. True love gives sacrificially. Look at in verses 17 and verse 18. It says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You can write this down. True love gives. Love gives. True love is a giving kind of love. And where you give, it shows where your heart is. Where your money goes, it shows what you love. Your heart directs your wealth. Look at your bank statements. Look at your purchases. Where's your money going? Are you a giver? Or are you someone who is a getter? You want to get, and, and, and that is dictating where it's all at. True love gives generously and sacrificially. And for us to be like Christ and to have a healthy heart, we need to be growing in the area of, in this area of love by giving to, sacrificially to one another, to, to the Lord's work. Jesus was passionate about his church and God's word tells us that we are to give sacrificially and generously to the work of the Lord. We just don't do it in words and say, oh yeah, I love the body of Christ. Oh, I love the church. Oh, I love Harvest Bible Chapel. We just don't show it in our actions and in, in our attendance or even in our serving, but even in our generosity of our finances. Real love, true love gives and gives generously and gives sacrificially. And it's done with joy, not out of obligation. Not out of like, okay, fine, I guess I have to give some money to God, you know. No, he doesn't want it. He, he, he loves a hilarious giver, a generous, a cheerful giver, 2 Corinthians 9 tells us. We give with joy and thankfulness out of an overflow of what Christ has done in our lives. All that God has done and provided, we give out of an overflow of that. And so we give, we give faithfully. And you say, well, why should I give God my money? It's mine. No, it's not. It's his. It's his. In Malachi chapter 3, it tells us that when we withhold our gifts to God, when we withhold our tithe, we're robbing God. We're robbing God. You want to be someone who's a thief? Don't tithe. Don't give to God. And God asks for a tithe, and a tithe is 10%, an offering. Now, you can argue, and, and we could argue perhaps long in the face, you know, or long in the tooth in some of these things. You know, is that Old Testament, New, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant. They were under law, and now we're under grace. So 10% or whatever I want to give, I, it's up to me. I can decide. Oh, and by the way, is that gross or net? I'm like, really? Are we going to nickel and dime this thing? There's opportunity to be generous and to give to the Lord's work and, and we're going to nickel and dime God down to, to the least amount. Okay, fine, I'll give this amount of money. No, it overflows out of a love for what God has done. True love understands that we give generously, we give sacrificially to his work and to his people and to those that are in need. And in the Old Testament, we see a standard. We see a standard that is actually raised in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it said, do not commit adultery. And, and Jesus in the New Testament said, 
Don't lust, because even if you lust, you've already committed adultery with that person in your heart. He elevates this importance because it's about the heart. He says, don't murder. In the New Testament, it says, don't hate, because hate can lead to murder, and he elevates it. And, and I believe tithing, 10%, it's a great place to start. It's not, it's not an end point. It's, it, it's a great place to continue to grow in our generosity to God. It's a blessing to give, and God blesses the giver. As we give to God, he blesses you in ways that you don't understand or fathom. And don't worry, I'm not getting into prosperity gospel theology here at all. Who believes that if you give in order to get more? I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about poverty gospel either. Or poverty theology that you shouldn't have anything. Just anything you give, you give it away. No, I believe we should, should enjoy the work of our hands. God has given this world for us to enjoy and travel and explore and to enjoy nice things. He's given these things. Make lots of money. Make lots so you can give lots, so you can be faithful in, in what God is doing. There's nothing wrong with ambition. Be ambitious. There's nothing wrong with it as long as our focus is on heaven and not here on earth. Be as ambitious as we can for the kingdom of God, for, for, for heavenly gain, for what God will do. Store up our treasures in heaven, not here on earth, we're told, where where dust and moth take over, where everything's going to burn up anyways or rust out or fall apart. Some say, I can't afford to give. Scripture tells us you can afford not to give. Not to give generously and sacrificially. And so we bring our first and our best to God. And then we look at other opportunities to give. We look at other organizations. It, it, it's a great thing doing this bottle drive and, and to give money towards a, a great organization like this that, that promotes great counseling and help for, for uh, pregnant women and, and, uh, and, and those who sometimes uh, would be considering an abortion to be able to, to talk and, and, and to remind them that life is valuable, is important. When we, there's different mission ventures and sponsoring children and different things that we can give to. And, and, and when we see someone in need, we're told to give and, and, and to be generous. And, and maybe I'm talking about a new theology when it comes to, 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 to giving. Uh, don't quote me on this or, or go too far off on this, but maybe it, it should be channel theology. God gives to us and we're channels to give to others, to share with others. One of the neat things about living here in the Okanagan is we have nice big Okanagan Lake and then we have down at Penticton, we have Skaha Lake and what is in between there? We have that channel. And right now that channel is going like crazy. In the summertime, there is no greater fun, I believe. Well, one of the great things to do in the Okanagan is, is going on that channel float. Just, just floating along right now. I think it'd be like a whitewater rafting ride for you. But, but I mean, just floating along from, then that channel goes be, from one big lake and dumps itself into another lake. And one thing about the channel, it's never short of water. And when we are channel givers, when we are receiving from God and we're channeling it to, to help others, to give to the Lord's work here and this person there, and there's this generosity, we see someone in, the need, in need and we even give anonymously or we, we give, you know, in a way that can bless someone else, we're channel givers and God blesses us. He takes care of us in that way. And this is something so beautiful that uh, we see then that channels don't go without and channels are watered. And by this, it says in verse 19, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. This is so beautiful to see that, that, that as we are people pursuing what we're talking about here, that, that we're experiencing victory over sin in our lives. We're, we're, we're getting some victory in the area of the sin test and the love test is something that I need to keep working on, but I'm growing in and, and I, I want others to walk with me and help me and teach and, and, and give some help and advice in these areas and to call me in areas where I'm struggling in these areas or I'm not showing Christ. This is a wonderful reassurance of our salvation. The final test that we can look at here today is the strength test. Is there a growing confidence, a growing strength in my salvation? In my relationship with God, am I growing in the confidence of that? Am I becoming stronger and bolder in my faith, in my prayers? Look at it in verse 20. 
It says, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what he pleases. As we bring things to a close here in a moment, I want to, if I was to get good and honest with you here today, and I think honesty is a good thing, and maybe you can relate to this in your own life. And, and I wonder if sometimes maybe you're like this where perhaps you're like me where you have days or times or seasons in your life when you really kind of wonder where you're at with God. Going through a bit of a dry season. There's some distance between you and God and, and maybe you know what the cause is of that and Maybe you don't and, and, and you're just in a dry spell. Maybe, maybe it's a result of making some bad choices or uh, you've gotten into a tough situation and maybe there's just a lot of junk, a lot of stuff that's been rolling around in your head and, and this starts showing itself. It's like, you're such a loser, such a failure, such a hypocrite. If people only knew what you were really like on the, on, on the inside, they'd be really surprised. Maybe you're finding yourself falling into old ruts and patterns of sin. And even at times you wonder, am I even really saved? Like, does God love me? I mean, have I, have I just taken this too far? Is, is, is that, am I missing something here? You ever wonder that? Have you ever wondered that in your life? Well, Romans chapter 8, verse 16 reminds us that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And as we talked earlier in this series and previous weeks, that the Holy Spirit will convict us of areas of sin in our lives and we ought to examine our lives on a regular, on a daily basis. And if we're struggling with sin or even if we're doubting our salvation, maybe it's because we've grieved the Holy Spirit. We talked about it a few weeks ago. We've grieved the Holy Spirit and we've quenched the Holy Spirit to the point where his message, his truth, we're, we're not able to hear it because we're, we're, we're living in this way. We also have to understand that the devil is the accuser of the brother and he wants us down. He wants us down. He wants us down. He wants us like down low and you're not saved. You're such a loser. I can't believe you did that again. And so what do we do in these situations? We ask the Holy Spirit to search us. 1 John 1, 9, the golden verse in, 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 this, in this book and one of the most important that we'll see in the word of God. 1 John 1, 9, if I confess my sins, he is faithful, he is just, he will forgive me of my sins and he will cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That's our God. And maybe some of you are there today and you need a big time cleansing. You need to spend some time just before the Lord and just repentance and just examining my heart. God, there's this distance. Is there something I'm not seeing? Is there something I've done? Is, is, is there area of sin or area of disobedience? Something that I'm, I'm not obeying you on and you've been calling me. I've been fighting and resisting you and confess that area of sin. Make it right with God. Make it right with others. But look at in verse 20 because then sometimes there is no unconfessed sin. You've dealt with it and and, and, and the Holy Spirit has revealed it, and yet your heart condemns you. And, and there's still this voice, there's still this thinking in your head. And, but verse 20 answers that and says, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. See, we have to be careful with our heart, because our hearts, we're told in God's word, can be deceitful, that, that, that at times our hearts um, can, can mislead us and and I'm not who my heart tells me I am. I am who God says that I am. God wants for us to walk with confidence before him. That we are loved, that we are forgiven. And there's going to be times where the enemy is going to be pounding down on us and giving us thoughts and, and thinking this way and yet we've confessed these areas of sin and, and the enemy wants to keep bringing it back up or even sometimes we'll use other people to do it. We walk in the confidence of what Christ has done with our sin, that his righteousness has been imputed to us and I can walk in the grace and the forgiveness of our God. The slate is clean. My heart is strong. My heart is healthy. And as we grow in these truths, there is a strength and a confidence that grows up. God wants for us to walk in confidence before him. 
That we are loved, that we are forgiven. Remember when I talked about that confidence and that joy from that crazy potato masher? God wants us to have a confidence and a joy in our relationship in him because of not what we have done, but because of what Christ has done and because our desire to submit ourselves to the word of God and to be under the authority of Christ and his Holy Spirit and allow his word and his spirit to work in our lives. And when that's happening, there's a joy and a confidence and a strength. And it even talks about our prayers our prayers are, are, are powerful. Verse, um, we see it here in these verses. And, and this is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as Christ has commanded us. And it's actually just in, in the verse before that, we see that, um, that, if our, uh, that whatever we ask in verse 22, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. It means that when we have a right heart before God, and it's not who our heart is always telling us who it is, it's what his word is telling us who we are and where we stand with him and our heart is clean and right before him. Hebrews 4.16 says we can approach the throne of grace with confidence and pray bold prayers, knowing our prayers are being heard and we pray with great faith, knowing that our hearts are right before him. And finally, in the end here in verse 23, and it says, and this is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And, we, and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And here again, we see Jesus having a right view of Jesus and his work, obedience to his word, and a love for others. Let's bow our heads. This morning, here today, I trust that from today and, and even this week, you would look at these three tests in your heart before God. How are you doing with the sin test? Are there areas of those besetting sins, those difficult areas where you're having a difficulty gaining strength and victory over? Remember, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross who forgives and gives us the victory through his shed blood for us to not only be cleansed but to be set free and to walk in victory. And there's times we need prayer. We need others to walk with us and stand with us. And I encourage you to, to reach out to other believers, to talk to myself, to some of our other leaders after the service and love to pray with you. Meet, make a meeting uh, with us throughout the course of the week? How's the love test doing? Is there growing love for the body of Christ and a growing generosity in your heart to love, to serve, to give? That's a really important thing to be looking at because it shows the sincerity of what's going on in our lives. And is there growing confidence and strength in your standing in Christ because you see the victories that are happening in the area of sin? Maybe you're here today, you've never given your life to Jesus and I encourage you today to turn from sin and embrace Christ by faith and forgiveness. You can do that today. Pray and ask Christ to come into your life to forgive you and to save you. And if you'd like help in that or to talk to, again, someone afterwards, we'd love to talk and pray with you about that. And if you know Christ today, may you give the Holy Spirit free reign in your life to be able to do this healthy heart check today. Father, we come to you and we thank you for the truths of your word. And these are difficult words, but they're important words because they ultimately are life-giving, eternity-altering truths that we would grasp a hold of. And it affects our quality of life even here on this earth. Oh, that we would be filled with a joy and a confidence and a, and a boldness in our walk with you and our relationship with you, Jesus, because of Jesus and all that he has done to make this possible. And so even now we worship you in spirit and in truth today. Let's stand together.